Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Rihanna Sachs, founder and CEO of the Little Cats Rescue, or TLC. Located in Newport Ritchie, TLC functions as a cat rescue and no-kill sanctuary, and has been around in some version for more than 20 years. But that constitutes just a portion of the Sachs feline saga. Indeed, she has been rescuing and caring for cats for the better part of 50 years including volunteering at big cat rescue back in the days when that facility was known as wildlife on easy street but even there amidst a sanctuary that housed lions tigers and other big cats she was drawn toward ministering to the domestic cats that roamed the property to be sure if we trace the rihanna Sachs storyline with a tight focus you'll see a career arc that reflects her true calling to cultivate the health and well-being of cats little cats as one measure of her devotion to kitties of all stripes, the Little Cats Rescue often hums along as largely a one-woman operation with Sachs wearing not just multiple hats, but sometimes it seems all of the hats. That said, she welcomes those interested in volunteering, whether that means caring for the cats in the sanctuary, helping with adoption events, or providing other forms of assistance. We'll delve into assorted aspects of the Little Cats Rescue when I speak with Rihanna Sachs in a moment here on Talking Animals on WMNF. A programming note, two weeks from today, October 4th, is the first day of WNS Fall Fun Drive. And I'll be raising money that morning on Talking Animals on behalf of WMNF. As usual, I have a giant fundraising goal, especially for an hour-long show. And I've learned over the years that the only real prospect of reaching that kind of goal is by receiving several early pledges. In other words, before the Fun Drive show itself. So if you enjoy Talking Animals in one way or another, please support us today. Head to WMNF.org, look for the programming schedule. Find Talking Animals, of course, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Click on that and locate the tip jar above the Talking Animals listing at the top of the page there. And please donate. I'll appreciate all pledges of all sizes. And as usual, I'll have some exclusive gifts to thank you for donations at various levels, including a pair of fantastic concert tickets, three copies of Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, the fabulous New York Times bestselling book by comedian extraordinaire and pug enthusiast Maria Bamford, a few copies of this terrific thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle of a bodega cat with fruits and vegetables, plus past favorites like cat aprons and dog aprons and talking animals, t-shirts, and more. So hopefully you'll just get us off to a good head start with an early pledge on behalf of talking animals. Meanwhile, coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with H.H. German, founder of Sigma Comics and the writer-creator of Calico, believed to be the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse. As such, we've closely tracked Calico as it's unfolded across its eight-issue series, and I've periodically talked with Germans starting around the publication of the first issue. Now, issue number seven has been launched on Kickstarter, so we're nearing the end of the series. We'll discuss the challenges and rewards of publishing a comic where the hero battles animal abuse and more when I talk with H.H. German later in today's program. Right now, though, let's talk cats, little cats, with Rihanna Sachs. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation, 
by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Rihanna Sachs on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Rihanna. Good morning, Duncan. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals this morning. Well, thanks for having me again. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's been too long, so we have some serious catching up to do, and I, I do want to cover a lot of ground with you, obviously, of course, a focus on the Little Cats Rescue. But as I outlined in the opening, you're a lifelong cat person, so I'm hoping you could start off by telling me about your very first cat that you loved, the very first cat you really felt connected with. The very first cat, his name was Rudy, and as it turned out, over the years, I've had four Russian blues named Rudy. Oh, Wow. Trying to yeah. trying to rec- trying to recreate the first Rudy experience, or apparently, yeah, yeah. I um I was living in uh, upstate New York and was going through one of the stores. It was kind of like a like a Walmart, but they also had pets and everything in there. And I, I walked past this little cage, and this tiny little Russian blue just looked up at me and said, "Please get me out of here." So I did, and then it began. Wow! And so, how old were you at this time when this uh, first when Rudy number one entered the picture? I think I was about twenty or twenty one. Okay. And had you grown up with cats? No, actually, we never had a cat when I was growing up. We always had dogs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I know. And I love dogs. In fact, I have one now. Um, hopefully, he's not going to bark while we're talking. Well, if <laughs> he does, tell him it's totally okay. The show's called Talking Animals, and we actually invite him to, to do some barking oh, if he okay. would like to. Yeah. Here, Sonny Ray. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's great. He's the uh, resident cat trainer. He helps cats get ready for homes with large dogs. Oh, that's good. Like, like his predecessor, Ty Ty, who was also a rescue. Yeah. Who left? Yeah, he left for Rainbow Bridge way back in October last year. Yeah, no, I'm that's sorry to hear that. I know that was a very tough situation, as all those uh, times that we have to say goodbye to those animals is. But, uh, but uh, temporary. Yeah. So, um, so you had dogs when you were growing up. Was there was was the animal one or more dogs always kind of part of the family when you were growing up? Yeah, we always had a dog, German Shepherds. We had a St. Bernard. We had a Mastiff. We had a Boxer. Um, another St. Bernard. Wow. And then, then as as we, I'm the oldest of five, and as we all grew up, my brother always had dogs, and I always helped him with his dogs. He had one for Lab, and I love dogs. I think they're great. Yeah. And was there a certain attitude about animals that your family kind of projected when you were a kid? It sounds like there was always at least one dog in the in the house. So it sounds like the, there was definitely sort of a very uh, positive feeling about animals, or specifically dogs, at least. Well, dogs in particular. Yeah, I yeah. grew up in your in your typical, you know, steak and potato kind of environment. Unfortunately. Okay. But uh, yeah. But but definitely uh, pro pro dogs. For sure. Pro dogs. Actually, yeah. my mom, may she rest in peace, helped me to found the Little Cats Rescue. Oh, yeah? She's been, yeah, Ruth Ruth was my co-founder. All right, well, let, let's circle back to that in a sec, because one of the things I'm curious to know, given the incredible experience you've had with cats, I mean, I'd say, say you've known a zillion more cats than most of us have. What would you say at this point are the qualities of cats that you've prized the most? I love their purrs mm-hmm. <laughs> and their purrs and their their independence and their quirkiness. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really amazing creatures. Very smart. 
And what is even? <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes you know whatever it takes to get a little more food or something, right? Yeah, a little but, more, a little more petting, yeah. Yeah, a little, little more per action, and um, so and what? What in your view? What makes them special? Because obviously you you know you wouldn't be have spent the life you the way you did if you didn't think they were special and worthy of you know tremendous energy and assistance and uh, support. Well, I, you know, I love all animals. That's why I'm vegan. Um, and um, it, that's the hardest part, actually, of the cat rescue is, is cats are obligate carnivores, and yeah. giving them giving them animals is really hard for me. But I know that that's what they need. So, I mean, I don't know how I ended up with a cat rescue. As you mentioned in your opening, I was with Wildlife in Easy Street. I also volunteered with the Animal Coalition of Tampa on spay days, and the cats at Wildlife just they spoke to me. And every seems like every time I turned around, there was another cat showing up at my door. Yeah, you were just the place to go, it seems like. It seemed like it, yeah. It was like some kind of magnet, and I keep saying I'm going to retire. You know, I swore when I was going to be 64 I was going to retire, but that 64 has come and gone a long time. Yeah. Well. But my vet my vet tells me it's not in my DNA, so I just got to keep going. It's all right. It's kind of like the mafia, too, you know. It's, once you're in, you can't get out. Right. No, it's, it is it is tough, and there's not really a clear exit route in, in most cases, for sure. So this may spark a little bit of controversy, but have you found over the years, given all the cats, again, that you've known and cared for, uh, that some cats truly are special and distinctive, while others are, you know, nice and cute and all, but frankly a little bit unexceptional? Well, absolutely. There are some cats that prefer no humans. Yeah. They're kind of hard to take care of and deal with. I've got some of those here. They, even though they came here as babies, they're still very wary of humans. I have to trick them when I have to do anything for them. So they came there as babies, but I guess that was still, still too late to kind of socialize them, or that's just more of a personality quirk? I think it's in their DNA. They were yeah. more than likely first-generation feral, and they just never adapted to humans. But that's okay. They have a safe place to live, and they get... Three squares a day. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty good gig for a grouchy cat, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, lo they love other... Well, most of the cats here love other cats. I do have a few that need to be an only cat, and I would love to have some adoptions. Adoptions have been very slow. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that for sure, because uh, that seems like pivotal kind of to the, uh, to the operation with that many cats there, and always trying to, you know, see if you can find homes for at least some of them, so... Right. We'll yeah, we have a legal capacity of 50. At, and so at, I've got 50 cats. Yeah. And so, so like, if somebody, I think I saw a post uh, within the last few weeks, maybe, where somebody, and I'm sure this is hardly the first time, but somebody kind of came by and I guess just sort of dropped off, quote, unquote, some cats. So what does that do? Because that, that at that moment, at least, let's say it's three or four cats in a box or however they did it, uh, that puts you above 50. Then what? Well, you just got to deal with it. You know, I'm, gonna, I, I'm not going to turn them out, turn them loose, turn right. them away. The most recent cat that we I had some traps, some humane traps on the side of the sanctuary, and I came home from errands, and there was a cat in the trap in the front of my house. It was microchipped. We, uh, Pasco County Animal Services and I, were able to track down where the cat originated, and that's with uh, a rescue group called Purr. And so I was able to reunite the cat with Purr. Okay. And I just kind of, you know, you fit them in and you hope for the best. Um, animal services understands, you know, that you you don't want to get way over your limit. But 
So if you go yeah. to 54 or 56, even temporarily, no one's going to hassle you, especially if it's in a situation that you didn't, you know, bring on yourself. Somebody just dumped uh, some cats or, or dropped off. Because, right, right. Yeah. They do have a heart. Yeah. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Stress. If you just tuned in, my guest is Rihanna Sachs, the founder and CEO of the Little Cats Rescue. Located in Newport Ritchie, the Little Cats Rescue functions as a cat rescue and no-kill sanctuary. If you'd like to ask Rihanna a question about cats or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. In fact, we do have a caller that seems to want to get involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Rihanna Sachs. Hey, Duncan. This is another WMNF uh, guy, uh, Mark Hart. I do Thursdays. We also are on the air together at KUCI, and I love cats, and I have a few comments. <laughs> okay, okay, well, that's already jam-packed with information, but fire away. What, what I think is important to point out is the, uh, the practical aspects of cats and, you know, the 10,000-year-old or more duty of cats doing uh, rat and rodent control. And uh, I use them in my yard. Uh, they're rescue cats. They were not um, supposed to be indoor cats, but I leave them outside. They're great, but they kill mice and rats like crazy. But the other example was at the Santa Monica Community Garden in the, in the 90s when I was there and also at Long Beach in the, 90, in the 2000s that uh, – the garden master said that they just completely wasted their time with traps and poisons and all this stuff didn't stop anything. The rats didn't go away. The chipmunks, nothing went away. It was a complete waste of time. So they brought in feral cats and it solved the problem overnight. And so that's, that's the kind of thing that cats can do. Uh, okay. Well, there you go. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mark. All right. Thanks for your call. Okay, Rand, any uh, response or comments on uh, Mark's... Uh... Well, I completely agree with what he said. Uh, we do work very closely with uh, barn cat, Char's barn cats up in Hudson. Mm -hmm. She, uh, she um, checks them out and sees, you know, if they're feral or they can be rehabilitated, and she does have a barn network. Can't let the cats out here because we're, we're in a pretty busy neighborhood, 54 and kind of Little Road and 19 in between that, and it's just not safe, and there's coyotes around, and mean people and you know it's just it's crazy but we just hope that we find good homes good loving indoor forever homes for all of our kitties and if we don't they get to stay here for their lives which as they age can get pretty expensive as you can imagine yeah um, you know 50 cats needing vet appointments it, it, it it's a little stressful i would like to add on top of being the founder and ceo i am the resident caregiver <laughs> yeah, well, people, no, that's... People are always asking me, oh, I want to do that. I would love to do that. Well, be careful what you ask for. Yeah, no, that's got to be, uh, you know, a lot day-to-day, -day, especially if some cats are ill and things are going on. It's, you know... Uh, right now, I've got um, 12 kittens that are fighting kitty colds. Oh, geez. One of the little families is a beautiful Siamese mix that reportedly was found taped up in a box with her brand-new babies, four, four of them. Um, and placed uh, in the sun by a retention pond and was stumbled across by a good Samaritan who brought them to me. And kitties all have really bad colds, but mm. uh, with my wonderful vet, Dr. Pierce, we're working on it. We're getting them all healthy. That's great. So just to back up a little bit, and then we're going to con continue getting more into the Little Cat's Rescue story a little bit. Um, 
How did you get or what prompted your move back when you were up north to Tampa? What what brought you to Tampa initially? Well, actually, I moved from, from Jersey and, and New York to Florida, and then I, I just did not like it. I moved to California. I've actually been back and forth between Florida and California four times. Oh, wow. I love California, but I uh, can't afford it. Yeah. And, you know, if I, I often say, oh, I wish I never left California, but then if I never left California, all these cats that I have had the pleasure of meeting and helping and the dogs and the people um, wouldn't be in my life. So here I am in Florida. Yeah. And then, as we touched on briefly, uh, one of the things you did when you got to Florida, at least one of those times, was uh, volunteer at Big Cat Rescue at that point, known as Wildlife on Easy Street. And right. uh, so you witnessed uh, from either up close or afar quite a quite a saga of theirs, including now uh, sending off uh, most of their cats. Um, it's uh, to Arkansas there with the aim of kind of closing. The, yeah. the sanctuary and selling off. So that's that, that's your classic and literal end of an era, I think, uh, in that regard. Well, Carol, Carol and her staff have had quite a wonderful run. I have not, nothing but the utmost respect for her. Yeah. I very much enjoyed my two to three years volunteering there. And actually, uh, people say, oh, did you name yourself after Big Cat Rescue? And no, I didn't. It's funny. They were called Wildlife on Easy Street. And Gracie from um, Heidi's Legacy was encouraging me to incorporate. I couldn't think, what what should I call this? What should I call this? And I kept coming up with the name Haven, but everybody's named Haven. So I thought, I know, we're going to do something beyond, above and beyond. We're going to give them tender, loving care. Okay, tender, loving care, TLC, the little cat. And after I came up with that name, it was funny. I heard from Carol, and she wanted to let me know that they were changing their name from Wildlife on Easy Street to Big Cat Rescue. That's so funny. <laughs> Very coincidental. Yeah. So, uh, so when and all that, then did you first develop the the seedling of the idea for what became the little cat's rescue? You mentioned a moment ago that your mom was kind of pivotal in that. So, how did how did you first kind of get the idea, and how did you carry out that idea once you did come up with it? Well, I was renting a condo in Tarpon Springs, and cats just kept coming to me. And I ended up with 14 cats in a one-bedroom apartment. And I was like, you know, this this isn't working. Wow. And um, one of the managers at PetSmart, I was working for Nutro Pet Foods at the time. And one of the managers there kept trying to encourage me, why don't you incorporate? And Gracie, the same thing. So And Cindy Flowers from Kitty City. I had a bunch of really good mentors. So I just, I did it. And they offered me the adoption center at the Trinity PetSmart, which we uh, occupied for 10 years, which was great experience. We've been gone from there for about 10 years now. And I I knew that I couldn't continue to function in a one-bedroom condo. And so my mom and I decided, let's find a house. This was the 50th house I looked at because it had to have a cat's eye view and it had to have no carpet. <laughs> so oh, yeah. We, out, we found this house and it was, it was um, zoned for agricultural slash residential. But I still had to put in a fight. cost about three grand to get an exemption to be able to have as many cats here as I have now. When I had the adoption center in PetSmart, we actually had like 130 cats at the sanctuary. But there was a big turnover back then. You know, people were coming in and adopting cats left and right. Unfortunately, there's not enough homes for all these babies that are being born, and it's, it's heartbreaking. But I'm glad I was at least able to save and help some of them. Yeah. Sometimes when you look at it, you think, oh, my goodness, I'm not making any impact at all because... The amount of homeless cats 
is just as bad as it used to be 20 years ago. Yeah. But I have to remember that I might not have made a, a difference in the overall humongous crisis that we have, but we made a difference in each one of their lives and the families that adopted them. And it's great. We hear back from families throughout the years. They send us pictures. Even 15 years later, we get pictures of our graduates, as we call them. Yeah, and sometimes I think, you know, when you're in the world of uh, animal rescue, welfare, various offshoots, sometimes you just have to sort of find a way to make peace with what you can do and the, and the good that you are doing rather than like, you know, uh, second guess and agonize over what you can't quite do or the, the things exactly. that Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that was about 20, 20 some odd years ago, I guess, right? When the Little Cats Rescue was launched? 2002. Yeah. So 21 years or thereabouts. Yep. So... That again, as we've talked about already, that's a lot of cats over a lot of years. What's what's maybe the single biggest lesson you've learned over those twenty years? Wow. You, you can you can yeah. go two or three if you need to. You don't have to limit it to just one. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely more than one. Yeah. You have to take what people say with a grain of salt. You can't always believe what they're saying. And you just have to overlook it and just go for the big picture, try to help the cat the best you can. I always always say cat rescue would be so much easier if it wasn't for humans. But so does that mean stories to... that people tell you about a cat that they need help with? Is that what you're referring uh, to? or That, that, or people, you know, I love people that have a heart to feed these stray cats. But they don't seem to understand that if you feed them without fixing them, you are creating a humongous problem. Yeah. And there are plenty of low-cost options. Right now, it's a little hard to get an appointment. You've got to think ahead because there's so many needing to be fixed. For sure. But that's the only way out of this crisis. We can't adopt our way out. We certainly can't kill our way out. We've got to stay and neuter our way out. And people have got to get their animals fixed and stop letting them roam around. Yeah. That... These little babies that are born, they, they didn't ask to be here and, and you know what's their future like there's just not enough homes for them all yeah no it's it's always the message is spay neuter spay neuter spay neuter and uh but you know the message doesn't seem to reach uh, uh, well, as many people should understand that a, a cat can get pregnant at four months old gestation is two months she can get pregnant while she's nursing and then her babies can get pregnant at four months old so wow. it's just it's just an incredible explanation. I'm sorry, I messed up that word bad. Um, you know, it just it just keeps increasing and increasing. And yeah. Yeah. No. It's, yeah, and I think it especially noted that, that if it's if it's feral cats and there's a colony, uh, you know, it's so important. It's pivotal that you know it's great to feed them, of course. But if you're not ensuring that they are spayed or neutered then, you know, what you think is a kind gesture, and on some level, of course, it is a kind gesture, but you're actually adding to the problem in such a dramatic exactly. fashion. So Yeah. So, yeah, it cracks me up when I get a call. I've been feeding this stray, and she came back pregnant, and I can't figure out how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. But, I, you know, I've been surrounded by some really amazing, wonderful people who, you know, sometimes it's like a one-woman one show, but... I do have some really good help in the background. I, I have a, um, a brand new web host, uh, webmaster. He's done a great job. Our website looks 
fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've got you know I've got I've got people in the background. I've got some amazing supporters and donors. They're always there for the cat. I mean, we've had some major expenses. You know, three thousand dollar surgery here and a a two thousand dollar whatever there. It really adds up. And if it wasn't for the village that we have, yeah, we wouldn't be able to do any of this. So, uh, on that note, my understanding is there's there's no paid staff, and really, I guess you would consider yourself part of that. I mean, you're not really a paid staff member, but but you do live there, as you've noted, and I guess your living expenses are covered. So, but the, otherwise, well, there's no real salary for anybody, much less. Uh, no, the, we've we've never had any paid staff, and yeah. never taken a salary, and I I actually pay a portion of the mortgage on top of the cat. I have one room in this house. <laughs> Me and my dog share an office, although right now I've got a mama cat nursing in my office. Um, and, you know, I, I do contribute to the to the bills here. So. Yeah. And is there a board of directors? Yes, we do have a board of directors. Okay, cool. And, because yeah. uh, one of the things, of course, you know, I think I'm sure I'm not alone in wondering, uh, thinking, thinking that even though you've noted there's some great people helping with the website and others, other aspects. But... It is essentially, often at least, it looks to be a one-person operation. So, especially with fifty some odd cats on the lives on the line, it's, it seems incumbent to ask about what kind of succession plan is in place to, you know, keep the little cats rescue going. If you know, God forbid, something happened to you, got hit by a car, or got ill, brief, you know, whatever it might be. Well, none, none of us are getting out of here alive, and I ask myself that question every day, and I honestly don't have an answer. So there's just, there's no succession plan yet drawn up for. There's not, no. and um, I, I I angst over it all the time. I just I don't know what the answer is. There was a period of time where I said, okay, that's it. I've got to wind this down. I'm not taking in any more cats. Period. End yeah. story. And I got the numbers down to thirty five. I gave away most of my crates, my dog crates, because when they first come in, they they go in a large very luxury crate with toys and water fountains and everything until mm-hmm. they can get acclimated to me in the place. Yeah. I gave a lot of the crates away. I was like, that's it. I'm done. I give the crates away. Because if I have an empty crate, that means I have room, right? I can save another cat. But there's never an end to another cat. Yeah. And uh, I just couldn't do it. I became depressed. I felt like I cut the circle of life off. You know, if you're not, if you're not contributing and, and, and moving in that circle, nothing's flowing. And so now I got my numbers back up to 50, and the calls, they don't stop. They don't stop. Right. So to me, that's why it would seem all the more, like, essential to start nurturing somebody that would uh, be able to take over the leadership of the organization, start to know the cats and their stories and the key protocols. Because, again... Volunteering? To be to be the person. Well, there's all there's always people that are super passionate about cats and willing to help. And I think the idea of like knowing that um, there's a you know sort of a leadership role, even though it's certainly not you know exactly uh, handsomely compensated, or whatever. But I don't know. I guess I'm just concerned about anytime there's you know sort of a one person operation that's been around for a long time. Uh, again, there's just so many things that can happen that could. You know, not to be grim or anything, but just, just like I say, getting hit by a car, whatever, it could be anything, oh, illness no. that takes you out of commission, then what happens to those 50 cats? Exactly. I'm, I'm cognizant of that every day, and I do have a board of directors that will not going to let them fall by the wayside or yeah. at animal services. But, you know, if there's, there's, there's so many rescues and everybody's struggling under the same weight as I am. Too many cats, too many calls to help cats. 
not enough homes, not enough money, not enough time, not enough volunteers. And you just kind of trudge along day by day and hope that it all works out. And you got to take your head out of the clouds and know there's got to be a plan. But if I yeah. knew what that plan was, I'd be more than happy to share it. Yeah. If anybody has an idea, shoot me a text. You want to take over for me? You know, I'm not going to live forever. <laughs> yeah. Get a hold of me because... Um, the problem is not going to go away. There's always going to be straight right. need hope. Yeah. No, that's, uh, you know, especially when you got the, the population down to 35 and then it rose back up to 50, it seems like it's always going to be hovering at 50 no matter oh, what well else happens. Oh, because it's legally my, my amount. I mean, no, I, I know. That's that's the limit. Uh, I'm sure there could be far more than that if there weren't that limit. I could have 500 cats if I allowed yeah. it. <laughs> For sure. It's crazy. Yeah. crazy. Again, this is Talking Animals on WMF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Rihanna Sachs, founder of the Little Cats Rescue, the Newport Ritchie Cat Rescue and No-Kill Sanctuary. If you'd like to join the conversation, please call 813-239-9663. Email DJ at WMNF.org or text 813-433-0885. So we sort of touched on this briefly earlier, and I said we'd circle back to it, so I certainly do want to talk about adoption. So how many of the 50 cats thereabouts, living there, are currently available for adoption? 40. I'd take a guess at 40. I'd have to go down the list. You know, there are some that need to be an only cat. There are some that have, you know, whatever issue. But for the cats that have no issues and are adoptable, there's only 30 of them. I have cats ranging in age from these little babies who are just turned four weeks old, and my oldest cat is 16. And every age in between, every color and personality. A lot of the cats have bonded with another cat. And we try really hard to not break that bond. It's hard enough for them to have been here. I mean, some of the cats have been here for their whole lives. I've got teenage cats that used to be kittens, and they never got adopted. Yeah. And they're beautiful. You can see them at the website and fill out the application to uh, apply to come and meet them. And hopefully uh, somebody will pick you. So how does that work? By the way, we should mention the website is thelittlecatsrescue.org. Um, so, because I remember, like, how, like how, how, what is the procedure? I remember you used to have regular adoption events at PetSmarts. Um, what, where are your off-site adoption events these days? We really don't have any. No? Um, that seems... stressful. Well, it's very stressful for the cats to go to these adoption events. Mm. We were, after we left PetSmart, we did. We went and set up cages and brought cats. And I don't know, we just never had uh, maybe one adoption here or one adoption there. I know that there was an adoption event recently, and a friend of mine who has a rescue had one adoption. We have a lot of word of mouth. We're on PetFinder, uh, Adopt-A-Pet, and uh, we have a lot of repeat adopters. So how many cats would you say uh, under those circumstances that you adopt out in a given week or a given month? It goes in spurts. I haven't had an adoption in a couple months. And wow. at that point in time, I had four all in like the same week. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just hard to know. And there's no, no rhyme or reason really kind of to that, that, that dry spell and then that spurt? There's really not. The economy uh, in general is taking a big toll, I think. I mean, people are uncertain about their future and a little a little concerned about taking on another mouth to feed, another vet bill. Yeah. Is it, is, it, is it sort of hard compared to maybe other places to adopt from the little cat's rescue? I don't think it's any harder than any other legitimate concerned organization. 
There's an app, since the uh, sanctuary is in my home, it's not open to the public. That's part of my arrangement with the county. Yeah. It's by appointment only. Plus, you know, who wants random people running in and out of their house? Um, so there's an adoption application. You complete it, submit it, it's reviewed. Uh, we, we do ask for vet references. Okay. We do verify employment. Um, and we do do a home visit. Now, before COVID, we did them in person. And since COVID, we're, we're kind of sticking with virtual home visits. Because, you know, I've been, I've taken cats. It used to be that, okay, everything was approved pending the home visit. And I would take the cat with me to the home visit. And if things didn't add up, the cat didn't stay. Mm. And I've seen some pretty scary things on those home visits. But the virtual, uh, take me on a tour through your house, things can work really well. Okay. So that's basically it. That's the process, yeah. So, so if somebody went to the website now, which again, the org, and looked at the cats available and they downloaded and filled out the application, submitted it and everything looked okay and you did your checks, et cetera, including the, the, uh, Zoom home check, uh, like within well, what period? The home check comes after they've already met the cat. You know, they come, they meet the cat, they see okay. them. I enjoy, I ask them to bring the video with them when they come. So if there's any questions, we can talk about it. I see. So, like, in a typical uh, situation, from the first person today seeing, hey, there's a cat or a couple of cats that are really kind of, you know, either one or maybe even both I, I wouldn't mind bringing into my family. So from, from today seeing that, like, generally, what's the timetable if everything went well and their application checked out and their background check, and et cetera, and the home inspection? It could be a couple of days. Okay. Yeah. All right. As soon as I as soon as I get the application, I I call the vet. I get the vet clearance. I've had vets tell me, please don't give them another animal. <laughs> or I've had vets tell me, oh yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah. So that's a key. That's a key element. Yeah, that sounds that. like it's the uh, exactly where you steer clear of any sort of red flags that you otherwise wouldn't. I do check the do not adopt list. Yeah. Make sure that there's nothing there. Okay. Because yeah. you know this is this is important. I we don't save them and nurture them and get them back to health mentally and emotionally and physically to just toss them to the wind and hope it sticks. Right, for sure. No, it sounds like it's important to be super careful. And that vet element, it's, it sounds like it's pivotal, just because if they first of all if they don't have a relationship with a vet, that's you know concerning maybe depending on what kind of cat they're looking to adopt. But if the, the vet gives them a huge thumbs up, that's great. And if there's some right. reservations or concerns, that's uh, that's important for you to know. I also need to know that they are gainfully employed or have some kind of income. I have been lied to on applications and called to check to confirm their employment, only to be told they never heard of the person. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's got to be careful because it's a crazy world out there. Yeah, for sure. Well, I so protect these babies. Yeah, absolutely. So we're sort of nearing the end of our time, Rana. So I, I want to be sure to talk about this because, as we've noted a few times, there's many feline mouths to feed and some substantial veterinary bills and so on. So how is how is the organization funded? You, you mentioned that you know you've been feel like you've been fortunate about the uh, the village and the different ways people are supporting the operation. So how how does that work? Is it strictly donation? Is there other means of of funding that you? Uh, well, we do have some fundraisers. Alyssa is our fundraising coordinator, and she's got us a, a booth at the uh, event down in St. Pete called Halloween um, Halloween on Central in mm -hmm. St. Pete that's coming up. But you can see all of our events coming up at the website. We have a calendar on there. 
Our donations are, we have, we have several really, really generous, consistent people that just, they're there without fail. We do run uh, birthday fundraisers. Facebook is a really big um, option for us to, to get donations in. It's, it's usually very effective. Oh, so People the, can so go to the, the Amazon. We have an Amazon wish list. We have a Chewy wish list. And so people, it comes together. It yeah, seems to come together. So people can donate by way of saying, "Here's here's fifty bucks. I'm just donating straight across." Or they can say, on the Facebook thing, like, "Hey, today's my birthday. Uh, I'm asking for donations in support of the little cat rescue because of this, this, mm-hmm. and the other thing." So there's that. And then I guess there's a whole other means of of uh, donating food or other items. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you, that you also have, I think, on the website that, that you, right. Uh, keep. I did. I did want to mention too that we are the little cat with an S rescue. Yeah, uh, that been, my my biggest question of the whole interview is the uh, is it TLCR or is it TLC? I mean, trying to. Uh, we stopped calling it TLC a long time ago. Okay, um, well, because you told you told want, that story want, about launching it. With the, the the name sort of, sort of starting backwards from the uh, yeah 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 so um you got to be careful though because there's a group out there that's fairly new a couple years old they're in Zephyr Hills and they named themselves Little Cat Rescue and there has been some confusion we are not them and they are not us yeah we are the and then it's a plural cat right and, and um, S apostrophe. That's apostrophe. That's correct. Yeah. Although you usually don't see the apostrophe in, uh, online, they just kind of leave it off. Right. But yeah. we do have our Facebook page. I believe we're on Instagram. We're on Pet Finder, Adopt a Pet, and um, we have a fairly good following. Over six thousand people follow us on Facebook. That's great. Yeah, it is. So and we need volunteers. Oh my goodness! I yeah, that was uh, anticipated. My very next question. So. <laughs> Uh, let's talk a little bit about volunteering. So how many volunteers are there involved with the Little Cats Rescue at the moment, would you say? It ebbs and flows. We do uh, we do accept community service for felonies and misdemeanors. Wow. And, yeah, um, we've been, you know, inspected and in- interviewed by the powers that be over there. So we, we get some really nice people that come in and, you know, they get a DUI or whatever. Um, I don't allow any animal abusers in, of course. Yeah. So we, we've got that, you know, when they're finished their hours, sometimes they continue and sometimes they don't. Um, it just, it ebbs and flows. And a lot of the people have aged up and, you know, they just, they're done. They're retired. So we always need fresh blood, not only yeah. to take over, but to help me. And, and speaking of community and, service, uh, I know so many, uh, you know, schools and organizations have that requirement. So... Are you are you able to have younger, you know, like high school kids, maybe even younger, yeah. uh, help out in that way and get their community service as well? Yeah, we are we are registered with the local high schools. Okay. And we try to keep the age at sixteen. Okay. And I do take it case by case. There's a fourteen year old that's really, you know, wants to be a vet or she's, you know, really, you know, excited about it. And yeah. Except on that. Well, yeah. we seem to think sixteen seems to be a good a good age. For sure. All right, let's try to squeeze in one more call. We have a couple more things to talk about, but let's see if we can... Uh, oh, they just... They, they they were holding for a bit there. They probably got impatient. Okay, that's fine. If you want to call back, we'll definitely try to get you involved in the conversation before we have to say goodbye to, to Rihanna. So um, so what kind of tasks do volunteers typically handle, and how many hours per week would, would a typical volunteer stint be? I'd like it 
a four-hour minimum. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, um, I, I try to, to schedule people around what they need to do, and then I schedule myself around them. I see. So, um, I'm, you know, if somebody wants to come early in the morning or late at night or whatever, um, there's there's always the litter boxes. <laughs> yeah, I would think that's that's endlessly necessary, right, with 50 cats? Wow. It is. It yeah. is. And, there's, you know, there's some heavy lifting and... You know, so we we could do some muscles and um, cleaning, socializing, helping me do vetting. You know, sometimes you've got to trim their claws and you need two people to do it. One's got a scruff and one's got a clip because you get some honorary cats here and there. Um, I have office work, photography. I mean, just about anything you could think of. Laundry. Oh, my goodness, these guys give me a lot of laundry. The cats themselves? The cats themselves, yeah. Yeah. One cat, bless her heart. Her name is, uh, we named her Victoria after the woman that found her, but... My vet feels she's over 16, she's blind, she's deaf, and she was uh, found in the 7-Eleven parking lot. Wow. So should we keep her in a nice crate by the window? Not that she can see anything, but she tends to just urinate. She does use the litter box, but like if she's asleep or whatever, she's old. Yeah. And so she provides a lot of laundry. There's a lot of laundry here. For sure, that makes sense. A lot of blankets and other things, covers. and. But you get a lot of rewards. You get lots and lots of purrs and sandpaper kisses. Yeah. And my doggy loves to play ball. Oh, well, there you go. Also. Rescued him all the way from Texas. Wow, nice. Mm-hmm. All right, Rihanna. Well, uh, I think we're just about reached the end of our time. We've been speaking again with Rihanna Sachs from the Little Cats Rescue. And it's the Little Cats plural, rescue.org, and they're also on social media, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, if you want to find out more or see some pictures. But, of course, the website has available cats for um, adoption, and you also can contact uh, Rihanna through there if you have some time and would like to volunteer and help out one or more of these 50 cats that are hanging out there just looking for a little bit of additional TLC or TLCR, depending on your... <laughs> Actually, it's TLCRS, the Little Cats Rescue and Sanctuary. Wow. Okay. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of letters there. Yeah, so the, it keeps changing the uh, acronym. That's good. It keeps people on their toes like me. That's great. <laughs> All right, so, Rihanna, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals, and good luck with the... Uh, thank you for the opportunity, Duncan. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a wonderful thing. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll talk with H.H. Uh, Sherman, founder of Sigma Comics and the writer-creator of Calico. Thought to be the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse with issue number seven now complete. We're in the home stretch of this eight-issue series. So I asked Sherman about the, his creation, the challenges he's faced, offering what's believed to be the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse and the triumphs. We'll hear that conversation in just a moment here on Talking Animals. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner in a nod to the just-concluded conversation with Rihanna Sachs, I thought we should do something feline-related. So here's Sean Cullen with a piece called Cats, in fact, in today's Comedy Corner on WMNF on Talking Animals. Ladies and gentlemen, I love animals, not you. I love cats. Cats were first domesticated in China in, in uh, 712 A.D. Uh, and they were used to drive... Uh, Carriages. They would have 600 cats all lined up in a long line. 
pulling one very large carriage. Oh, and they would meow. And they'd whip them. Meow! 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 On! Felix! Meow! Oh, yes! Go, Morris! Meow! And eventually that led to the Cat Rebellion of 815. And the cats rose up, shaved themselves, put on little derbies, <laughs> chased people around the village squares for three days until finally they got tired and they grew their hair back. Just hung around in barns eating mice. Well, that's neither here nor there. Well, I love cats, and my favorite... <laughs> I have two cats, uh, and they're called Trouble and Danger. And they're little white, identical cat boys. And um, we used to have hamsters called Arts and Entertainment. But one day, uh, Trouble and Danger got at Arts and Entertainment. Now we just have entertainment with no real integrity. And uh, it's all, you know, it's sad. But my two cats, and this probably all cats do this, but I always found it really quite strange. Uh, when, when you're there and you're, they have a litter box where they throw their candy wrappers and cigarette butts. <laughs> Oh, just, no. You have your litter box and, and you scoop out you scoop out the horror and filth with the scoop. Oh, oh. And you put it in a plastic bag and give it to someone. We exchange it all around my building. But you know, and it's all fresh and clean and you put in fresh litter and it's all beautiful and pristine. Both cats leap in, squat down and drill a stream of urine violently into the and then walk out. Get a load of that little nugget. It's really strange. But I imagine what they're doing is just claiming their territory, you know? They're claiming their little place. And it would be great if uh, in life you could do that. You know, like some friend comes over with a car and says, Hey, look, I just bought this new car. Oh, it's nice. It's mine now! That was Sean Collin in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Cats, taken from his album Simply Entitled Life. Hey, quick uh, programming note. I will be uh, gone next week. So sitting in and hosting as usual, a great, great job will be Bev Capshaw. And the guests will be Angela Rodriguez with the USF Botanical Gardens beekeeping course, along with novice beekeeper Nancy Bird, owner of New World Brewery. So I'll be discussing USF's beekeeping education and the important role pollinators play in the overall ecosystem as well as the food supply. So that's next week, September 27th here on Talk Handles. And then the following week, once again, is the Fun Drive Show, October 4th. So please take a chance, a moment now to uh, donate early in support of Talking Animals at WMNF.org. Right now, though, let's uh, time to speak with H.H. German, founder of Sigma Comics and the writer-creator of Calico, believed to be the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse and innovation in the comic book world for sure. So now uh, issue number seven of the eight-issue series has been launched on Kickstarter. An opportune moment to ask German to uh, access this experience. Let's welcome H.H. German back to Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, H.H. Good morning, Don. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us again on Talking Animals. So in our past conversations, I'm not sure we dis- discussed what exactly prompted you to create a comic book hero 
dedicated to fighting animal abuse. Why, why was that of interest uh, to you? I'm a former fighter from the Bronx, and I had some fights uh, scheduled. All were canceled due to COVID during the quarantine, and the lady I was dating mentioned that now's the time to get some creative projects off the shelf, and uh, this was it. Here comes Calico, the ultimate defender of animals. So, so that you had already kind of come up with the idea, but sort of tabled it for a time until the COVID sort of opened up some opportunities to re-explore some past ideas? It's just opportunity. The time came, and, uh, you know, it, I had it sort of as a novel idea. Yeah. And then as I wrote the outline, the outline lends itself more as a comic book hero, and, and sure enough, uh, as I plotted it for a comic book, it worked brilliantly. And so what was it uh, when you first sort of floated this idea to, to friends, colleagues, others, whatever, said, hey, man, I've got this idea for this, the next comic book uh, hero. Uh, he's going to be fighting animal abuse. What, what, what kind of a response did that elicit? I didn't share any idea. I just came out with it and uh, stepped back and, and uh, watched the fire. And uh, let me tell you, it burned beautifully. A lot of people are really responding to it. Well, you mentioned friends. You know, my best friend was the one who gave me the idea for the first issue of Here Comes Calico, where uh, a really horrible person, a cretin, uh, was abusing a dog. And uh, it's from a video we saw. The truth is, Duncan, as you know, animal abuse and cruelty is real. It happens every day. It happens all around the world. Yeah. We have a lot of uh, source material, unfortunately. Yeah, well, that that is unfortunate, but... uh... But meanwhile, uh, you're seven issues into this um, eight-issue series. So uh, what has been the response to the actual comic books themselves? I mean, what... Uh... Unbelievable, unbelievable. We, we pretty much travel every weekend. This weekend, I'll be in Salt Lake City for FanX, uh, but it doesn't matter. It's, uh, San Diego Comic-Con sold out. Chicago Fan Expo sold out. Boston Fan Expo sold out. Now, when you say sold out, you mean like at your booth at, at these conventions? Yep. or? Yep, the, the, air, the airplane limit is 100 pounds. We sell out of 100 pounds of comics every weekend. Three wow. Sell out of, it's crazy. It's wonderful. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it speaks to the quality of the comic book and also the, the seriousness and passion towards the, the mission. For sure. So are a lot of the people that come to those various Comic-Cons and all the other sort of counterparts at different cities, including, I guess you're saying, Salt Lake City uh, coming up, um, are they not aware of Calico before they arrive at, at that, that given conference or convention, or, and especially right. at your booth, or are they aware of it? Excellent, excellent question. Uh, most of them are not, and that's because, you know, it typically takes five to ten years, believe it or not, uh, for an indie comic book, that, that being an underground comic book that isn't mainstream, yeah. to really gain some, some traction. So we're still considered a new series, even though we're, you know, seven issues in. Because, you know, we're only a couple of years old, two years old. Yeah. So, yeah, most of the people do not know. And, and they're just, what, what happens is they're, uh, they're in, their uh, senses are overwhelmed with just the, the creativity because it's totally unique. And that's the thing, when you go into these Comic-Cons, a lot of times you see the same thing over and over again, this is really the first time anyone has ever covered the topic of, you know, fighting animal abuse. And, you know, the character is, I mean, imagine, uh, you know, Charles Bronson's character, Paul Kersey from Death Wish, a more intense and dangerous guy going after people who abuse animals. It's really satisfying for us animal lovers. So, And have you heard, H.H., from um, animal activists and or organizations that deal with animal abuse or animal welfare? 
Absolutely. Those are our biggest customers, our, our, our most ardent customers and fans of the series. And, yes, uh, we, in the comic book, as you know, we actually dedicate a couple of pages to charities yeah. dedicated to fighting animal abuse. So as we learn about more of them, you know, we partner with them and we're able to disseminate the message even more. And so they must just feel like, hey, this is a great way to help carry out our own mission in a different way about trying to stop animal abuse and educate people about you know, sometimes it's a matter of neglect or whatever that, that leads to those kinds of situations. So sometimes just having a different medium altogether to, to bring that message to them is probably super helpful. Bingo. That's it right there. It opens them up to a whole new audience, and it's the pop culture. You know, uh, we've used this example before. You know, uh, 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 pop culture directly impacts real culture. Okay, If you look at the Jeffersons, if you look at uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, if you look at Will and Greg, uh, 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 Will and Greg, or, uh, I forget, I'm probably saying that. Will and Grace. Great Will, Will and Grace, that's it. Yeah. Uh, these are all pieces of pop art, pop culture that directly impact the real culture, and that's a social scientific term. And yes, because we're opening up to a new market, all of these entities that are charitable are really opening up to us, and we love it. All right, two final quick questions because we're just about running out of time here, HH. But one is, um, is there, uh, since we're almost at the tail end of this eight-issue series, is there likely to be a second series? Absolutely. Uh, we have wonderful momentum going into a second series, so we're already scripting a, uh, another series based on this one. This is Hector, the protagonist, the Calico, when he was younger. So this is about 25 years ago when he was in his teens. Yeah. Um, so we're already working on that as we speak. That's and great. And a uh, second series of Calico is definitely something we have planned. So absolutely, and uh, it's on Kickstarter right now, issue seven. So uh, here comes Calico. All you got to do is go on Kickstarter, type in here comes Calico, and you get all the issues. And we really appreciate your support. Well, that was, that was question number two, where people could get involved or support the thing, and that's it. Kickstarter, search for Here Comes Calico, and they're in business. Kickstarter.com. That's all you got to do, folks. Type in, uh, in Kickstarter.com in your browser, and once you're there, type in Here Comes Calico, and you'll see the latest Here Comes Calico campaign, and you can back all the issues are just number seven, whatever you like, and we'd really appreciate your support. That's what we're all about. Bye. All right, HH, good luck. We'll talk to you again. We'll keep tracking this thing, and I'm so happy to uh, hear that it's going so well. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate your support. Thank you. Take care. Coming up on WNF, it's Slice of Life, the wonderful new show hosted by Randy Zimmerman. After that, we shift back to music programming with Jim Banner holding forth from 1 to 3, followed by Robin and Cassie from 3 to 6. Uh, and then ordinarily, our terrific uh, Wednesday night block of Latin music kicks in, but tonight it's even more than that. Um, there's a, an array of things, Latin night, open house, there's uh, all kinds of great things, so please come by the station for that. It's WNF Tampa, we'll see you two Wednesdays from now on the 4th. Bev Caps are here next Wednesday with beekeeping. Please support us at Talking Animals uh, on WMNF.org at the tip jar. Thanks.